morning, everybody, everybody watching online, and everybody here in person. Would you please turn with me in our Bibles to Matthew 28. If you don't have a Bible, I invite you to use a blue pew Bible in front of you, and you can find Matthew 28 on page 835. If you do not own a Bible or do not have one readily accessible at home, we encourage you to take this home with you. And it is our hope that the Word of God is inside all of our homes and active in our lives. Uh, my name is Aaron Syverson. I have the privilege of serving as the senior pastor here at Grace Church. And I will be sitting in our sermon today because I managed to sprain my ankle yesterday playing basketball. We played with the, uh, our teens at Grace, our middle schoolers and high schoolers. I wanted to show them the old guys still got it. <laughs> and as it turns out, I just showed them I'm the old guy. And that's, <laughs> that's as far as I got. But that's okay. Basketball is always worth it. It's always worth it. And just maybe next year, not Easter weekend. I've got to remember, remember that. But I especially want to uh, join in in welcoming all those who are visiting this morning. Uh, I realize there are many reasons why you might be in a church on Easter Sunday. Uh, some are seeing friends or family um, from out of town, or even if you live locally, coming and joining family. Uh, maybe you're home for the weekend. Uh, maybe you're from the area and you decided to come today or come back today and check it out um, for whatever reason. And I also realize, if we're honest, there's some maybe who are here um, because someone asked you to come and you did not have a good enough reason to say no in the moment, and you're here. Well, we are glad you are here and hope you feel welcome here at Grace, uh, not only because it's Easter Sunday, um, but we hope that you know that you will always be welcome here. And uh, we do have, as was mentioned earlier, uh, people at Grace Connect in the back who would love to meet you, who have a gift for you, no strings attached, um, and uh, are also available to share anything about the church or answer any questions you have as well. So that's at Grace Connect, the booth right um, uh, as you uh, would be exiting out the back door. But in our gathering each week, uh, Easter, Sunday, and every other Lord's Day throughout the year, we at Grace Church center ourselves around this word. Every week, you would find that we gather to read the word and then sing the word, pray the word, preach the word, and conclude by partaking in the word through the Lord's Supper. And God chooses to use these gatherings to grow our people in knowing his son, Jesus Christ, and equipping our people to make him known through the lives that we lead as we scatter from this gathering. And one of the reasons that we do encourage everyone to just have their Bible open and to be reading along with us as I preach is that I want us to see that I do not create the content of our gathering. I proclaim the content which God has created in his word. And so with that said, the passage this morning is going to be Matthew 28, verses 1 through 7. Here's how we're going to do it. Uh, we will remain seated, but I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. I'm going to pause. I would invite everybody loudly and clearly to join with me. We will all read verses 5 through 7 together. And we'll also have the, uh, the verses up on the screen behind me. So Matthew 28, verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week... 
Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. All right, join with me now, verse 5. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. Amen. On January 12th, 2007, a man entered into the Washington, D.C. metro station downtown and set up next to a trash can, took a violin out of his case, and began to play in a t-shirt, jeans, and baseball hat. It was nearly 8 a.m. on a weekday, peak rush hour foot traffic flowing in and out of the station. And this man would play the violin for the next 43 minutes. His name was Joshua Bell, one of, if not the best classical musicians in the world at the time. Bell's concerts packed and sold out venues across the globe. He was a hard ticket to come by. And in this performance, just inside the doors of the metro station, he wasn't just fiddling on his violin. He played six classical pieces that are still considered the most elegant and famous music ever written. Not only that, the instrument he used was one of the most valuable violins ever made. It was handcrafted in 1713. It has a name that I'm not smart enough to pronounce. <laughs> and it was worth, at the time, $3.5 million. Over the course of those 43 minutes, an estimated 1,100 people walked by Joshua Bell, all of which could have had a front row ticket to an amazing concert from a famous musician and as you might imagine, virtually everyone just walked by, unmoved. Some maybe gave a glance of acknowledgement, but nothing that would cause them to change the course of their morning, despite what was happening right before their eyes. This morning, we're concluding a four-week series that has led up to today, Easter Sunday, called Just As He Said spotlighting the event of the resurrection of Jesus, but seeing how uh, the plan all along, traced all throughout Scripture, was the plan for resurrection. Which is why the angel, as we all just read together, said, He is risen, as He said. That God's redemption and renewal of His people came through resurrection, and this resurrection then still is a shaping force in our lives today. 2022 in New Jersey. And so now for the next few minutes, we are going to stand with these women at the empty tomb. A historical moment happening right before our eyes, if you are willing to put yourself there. 
We all have a front row ticket, if you will. And the question to you is, what will your response be? Will you put your head down and plow through with your life as it was previously scheduled? Maybe give a glance of acknowledgement, but not enough to change course of what you already have planned, not only for today, but for the rest of your life. Or will you stop and pay attention? If you were in that D.C. metro station on January 2007, you could say, like I would probably say, I know nothing about classical music, nor do I really care. Having commuted into the city before I went to ministry for five years, I know how many times you see something and you just keep walking, maybe barely a glance, because it wouldn't change your life even if you stopped. But here, it's not overstating it to say eternity hinges on whether those seven verses we just read are true. It's interesting, there's a stunningly simple question that cuts through the complexity, the confusion, the ever-changing, moving world that we live in. And the question is this, is Jesus dead? Right now, is Jesus, the man from Nazareth who was crucified by the Roman Empire around 30 AD, is he dead today? If yes, keep on moving. Keep making your way through. Don't change course. If no, stop and look. Keep your head up because nothing else matters. And the angel of the Lord, in his words to the women in Matthew 28, he gave them three exhortations. We're going to take them one at a time. He told them three things. One, do not fear. Two, come and see. And then three, go and tell. So starting with number one, do not fear. Matthew writes of these two women who came to the tomb. He identifies them as Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. I don't know about you, but this has always struck me. If I was the other Mary, I'd have some words for Matthew. All right, if the other Mary is still living at this time and New Matthew, or when they got to glory, I'm walking up to Matthew and going, really? <laughs> you got Mary, the mother of Jesus, in the Gospels. You have Mary Magdalene, and now you got the other Mary. I don't know if anybody else thinks about that, but let's put ourselves at the tomb. Let's understand the timeline here. Uh, Jesus died on Friday afternoon. Matthew says in the chapter before that a rich man named Joseph got permission to bury the body of Jesus. And so he takes a mutilated body down from the cross, wraps him in clean linen, and lays the body in his own new tomb, which he had cut into the rock, Matthew writes. And then a great stone, think boulder, gets put in front of the entrance of this tomb and this all had to happen relatively quickly because the Jewish Sabbath began at sundown on Friday evening when all work would have to stop. So Matthew writes this, and then he adds in chapter 27, verse 61, oh, by the way, quote, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. Friday done. Now Saturday is the Sabbath. And Matthew writes that on that day, the Pharisees and Pilate agree to go seal the stone in front of the tomb 
and then to put guards out in front of the tomb so that nobody else will steal the body and claim that he came back from the dead. And that is the context in which these two Marys come to the tomb just before dawn on the third day, oils in hand, to anoint a dead body. Because that is in line with their tradition, and they did not have time to do it before sundown on Friday. So they come back first thing Sunday morning. I want you to put yourself there. Can you do it? Walking with the women. Just before dawn, in the dark, Maybe the first glimmers of light starting to emerge. And then an earthquake occurs. And we're not told if they were at the tomb when the earthquake happened or if the earthquake happened while on their way, but an earthquake, I imagine, uh, that was pretty jolting to experience. Just out of curiosity, raise a hand if you have been in a legitimate earthquake. You've been somewhere where there's been a legitimate earthquake. All right, a handful. Most of us haven't. But not only that, at the end of this earthquake, there is something or someone sitting on top of the boulder, which is no longer where it was, and its appearance is like lightning. I don't even know how to explain that to you. And then there were armed guards there, but now they are on the ground. And they're either knocked out, and they're playing dead, or they've just been knocked unconscious out of their own fear and shock of the earthquake. Can you imagine that scene? Seriously, can you put yourself there? Earthquake, appearance like lightning, armed guards down, these women standing there, spices in hand, and then this being on top of the rock begins to speak to them in their own language. If you put yourself there, what is your primary emotion at this point? Fear. Like, what is happening? Isn't that what fear is? when you don't understand what is happening, when something outside of your control is taking place. It's happening all so fast. What's going to happen next? And so in that context, it makes sense that the first thing this angel says is, do not be afraid. Do not fear. That phrase, do not fear, is spoken hundreds of times in the Bible. Uh, Every major character in the Bible had a do not fear moment or interaction with God. Because every time a man or woman first encountered the true living God or a manifestation of him, they are afraid. No exceptions. Moses at the bush, Gideon in the field, Isaiah in his vision of heaven, the shepherds on the night Jesus was born. No man or woman in the Bible came before the living God and the first reaction was like, oh, hey. And the reason... It's because we are not worthy to stand before the holiness and perfection of the living God and not be impacted. I will go as far as to say that if you have not had a moment of fear before God, the reason is that you have never encountered God. Perhaps you encountered your version of God that you've created but we cannot place ourselves on his level. We cannot come before him initially and not be impacted. God is not our peer. He's not made in our image. The resounding note throughout the Bible is that God is God and we are not. 
And that moment that you see it, that you recognize an experience of that, even if you can't put words to it or articulate it, that feeling of helplessness, of how can I be worthy to stand here? How can this go well for me? Similar emotion to what the women had at the tomb. Earthquake, lightning, guards down, speaking to me. How will this go well for me? That's fear. An acknowledgement that we are not in control. And so when you do come before the living God, the only way we will not fear is if we are told, do not fear by that which we are fearful of. But I wonder if you can resonate with this, especially if you've been around church culture or Bible for a long time, is that I often read that phrase, do not fear, again, hundreds of times in the Bible, and I often hear it as a rebuke from God. Anyone else? I like the way we often say it to one another. Like, come on, don't be afraid. What are you afraid of? You're being ridiculous. Grow up. It's a tone of rebuke for feeling fear. But that is not the tone of the Lord. It's not the tone of the angels of the Lord in the Bible. This phrase is not a rebuke of fear, but a response to fear. Stay with me. The angel is responding to their good and rightful emotional response. God created us with this response. As if to say, I know you're afraid. I would be too. Let me meet you where you are. Do not fear. Not, you're being ridiculous, but rather, you're okay. You're safe. Uh, have you ever seen a, a TV show or a movie of like a hostage situation or read, even better, a firsthand account of somebody who's in a true hostage situation? And someone is held in, in a room, a dark room, uh, by someone who has captured them and wants to, has plans to inflict harm upon them. And a rescue mission takes place. And in this rescue mission, uh, these soldiers break into a room, and the hostage, their initial uh, impulse is to be uh, fearful once somebody enters that room. Bang the door open, and the first thing they do is just curl up in the corner because they feel like this is the end. And the first thing the soldiers come in on the rescue mission say is what? Don't be afraid. And they're not saying that as a rebuke, but they're meeting them where they are bringing real comfort to an understandable response. Soldiers saying, you're okay. I'd be afraid too. But we're here to bring you home. That's the tone of do not fear in the Bible. As great as the God of the universe is, you may dare to be safe with him. No front needed, no faking it, no needing I need to seem a certain way, act a certain way, talk a certain way in order for God to accept me. He is as loving as he is holy. He is as merciful as he is perfect. And he says, do not fear. And so I wonder if you were honest, if you are somebody who struggles feeling worthy in that way. Maybe the condemnation part's the easy part for you to understand. But the part of receiving love 
is what you struggle with. Maybe you put up a front to defend against that struggle, not only with God, but with people around you, that kind of hard exterior, that someone who does not need love like that or doesn't need to feel worthy like that, that I'm good on my own. I hope you can see this morning that that is not confidence, that's fear. That's a reaction to fear. And Satan's greatest temptation is to make us fear God in a way that drives us from him. But that's not the Lord speaking. The Lord always uses fear, a right emotional response, to draw you close to him. No one's ever been saved by being afraid of Christ. We are saved by being drawn into Christ who responds to our fear and doesn't rebuke us for it. That's number one. Number two, come and see. After comforting them in their fear, the angel proclaims the good news that transformed the world. I know you seek Jesus who was crucified, but he is not here for he has risen as he said. And then, this is important, there's an invitation, an immediate invitation. Come and see the place where he lay. The angel invites the women to not only hear the good news, but to experience it. I need you to come and see it. Um, so, so our kids are in a life stage where they will tell my wife and I uh, to come look at something. It's not enough for them to say, hey, I need to tell you about this thing. It's always, no, come here right now. Come and see it. Uh, so my seven-year-old, he's got you know, way into sports. I don't know where he got that from. Uh, but he you know, loves watching sports, but you know, goes to bed early, and we just don't stay up late enough to be able to watch a lot of these games. So he wakes up the next morning, and he wants to see the highlights. And so uh, he, you know, depending on the morning, I'll, I'll let him go on the iPad and watch the highlights of a game from the night before. And he'll be sitting in there and just saying, Dad, come see this play. And I'll be like, I know, buddy, I saw it. He's like, no, 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 you come and see it. It is wired in us to say, I need you to see what I'm seeing. It's why we're always sharing links and videos and pictures with one another, right? Because we can do that so easily now. We need other people to see it, not just hear it. And the angel invites Mary and the other Mary to experience the empty tune, come and see because the resurrection of Jesus was both powerful and personal. It was a powerful evidence of the authority of Jesus. He has conquered the grave. He was once dead. Don't let this sound normal to you. I know it's Easter. I know it sounds normal to you. Don't let this be normal to you. He was once dead, and now he's alive. Come, see where you saw the body. Mary, you were there. You saw it be put in. You saw him wrapped in linen. Now, come see the linen folded neatly on the tomb. That's what the Gospels tell us, that it was neatly folded, his linens. This is not the sign of a body that was stolen. If you were going to steal a body from a tomb that was guarded by armed guards, you know what you're not going to do? You're not going to take the time to fold linens. 90% of you don't even do it in your own house, all right, and like you're not stealing a body. You're not taking the time to fold and put it back on. It's also not the sign of someone who just woke up from a coma. Another theory. He didn't really die. He just went into a coma and then woke up in the grave and got himself out. There's a lot of problems with that. 
But let's say had a mutilated body, somehow woke up and had the mindset that I need to get out of this tomb. You know what you're not doing in that moment? Let me fold these first and then find my way out. This is the calm, powerful reaction of someone who knew he was going to be raised from the dead, who knew he had conquered death. He was not in a hurry. He was not fearful. He folded the linen, and he walked out. This is someone in whom all things now lie in submission to. This is God in the flesh, as he said. You know, everybody in this world, even those we would consider kind of the top of the top in terms of power, the most powerful people in your mind in this world, they all still have to answer to someone. Steph Curry played last night, had to answer to a coach. Jeff Bezos has to answer to a board of directors. President Biden has to answer to Congress. Let me put it this way in your life. We all have the people in our life where if they were to call you right now, you feel your phone going and you see who it is, and your first thought is, I need to answer that. I can't ignore them. I answer to them. And all of us, even those at the very top in our mind, will face the end of their own mortality. There will be a day where they'll wake up and it will be their last. Just like me, and just like you, it could be today, it could be any day. But Jesus, in rising from the dead, now cannot die again. And when you have all power and all authority, and you cannot die, that means your cause cannot fail. When you have all power and authority and you cannot die, then your cause cannot fail. Jesus cannot fail. Jesus lived, and today he lives. Come and see the powerful evidence of the empty tomb. But it's also personal. So when you come and see the empty grave, you realize that the resurrection of Jesus is not just this theological argument, but it's a personal reality. Friend, come and see. He is not here, for he is risen for you, for your story, your trauma, your pain, your sin, your brokenness. He walked out for you. Don't just see his empty grave. See yourself at the empty grave. You know, standing before a tombstone, standing in cemeteries as we now know them today, they're often a quiet place, aren't they? It's a, it's a serene scene to experience. And there's always a mixture of emotions if you go to visit a gravesite. Time slows down when you stand before a grave. And the angel of the Lord invites those who long for rest. Can I ask a question? Are you tired this morning? Not just talking physically tired. 
Are you tired this morning? Do you need rest? Soul rest. Because here's what I know, living in the same area you do, for those who live around here, this time we're in, and this area we're in, man, it does have a lot of benefits that we should be thankful for, but things move so fast here. Everybody is constantly going. It's the hamster wheel where you're always going, but you feel like you're never getting anywhere. And you have to go nonstop because everything else is going nonstop. And the idea of rest, physical, emotional, spiritual rest, I know that you hear that and it's laughable to you. And we're always working. We're always stressing. We're always worrying about our lives and our families. Things inside of our control. Things outside of our control. If that is you or any part of you, it is to you that God says, do not be afraid. Come and see. Christ's body rose, and in him you shall rise. Not as a means to an end where all of a sudden your problems disappear if you believe in Jesus, but it's a transformation where it's no more dread to die. The resurrection says death, what is it? Suffering, what is it? I came and I saw. He rose, and in him I shall rise. This invitation is for you. You're walking right past it. It's before your eyes. It's an invitation to receive Jesus as your Savior, to receive new life in a relationship with him. And I want to be clear this invitation is for everybody. Whether you grew up in church and maybe you're back for the first time in a long time or maybe this is your first time ever in a church. Whether you're disconnected from God or have always been unconnected with God. For those of you who still have questions and are wrestling through doubt and things of faith, or wrestling through, what, what, what will that mean for the rest of my life if I actually believed in this and the fear of the unknown? This invitation is for those who are ashamed of your past or your present, regardless of your age or your background. This is an invitation to begin or to renew your relationship with Jesus Christ. Friend, come and see the place where he lay. Repent of your sin and put your faith and trust in him alone, for he lives, and in him you can live too. And that leads to lastly, number three, we'll only be here for a minute. Go and tell. It's the final instruction from the angel. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. The resurrection says that not only have you been freed from something, from sin and death, you've been freed for something, for love and renewal, that now you get to join the story that you've been invited into, and you get to join in working in the story to make disciples of all nations. Go and tell. You've been written into the movie. You've been given a part. You've been given lines, and it will impact the plan of restoration and renewal that God is working, and it cannot fail. 
kingdom of heaven is coming to bear on the kingdom of earth, and you get to play a part making all things new. And now, upon receiving Christ, your life will go on, as you'll see, but nothing will ever be the same. Your work is now more meaningful. Your relationships are more meaningful. Your presence in your town, in your country, in your world is now the canvas in which you can paint your life on to the glory of God and for human flourishing. Go and tell. Well, after hearing the story of Joshua Bell playing for 43 minutes in a classical concert on his violin in Washington, D.C. metro station, I went and found a short video. There's about one, it's about two and a half minutes long on YouTube. It's kind of grainy, the way hidden cameras always were in 2007. It shows up the sped-up version of people walking back and forth across Bell as time went on. Virtually nobody giving him a look, let alone stopping. And then about a minute and a half into the video, a woman stops in the middle and stands in that spot until the very end. Up to that point, she was going about her morning like everyone else. She had bags on her in both hands, but she just stopped and she listened. And people now are walking all around her, and her posture is like she doesn't see anyone else in the room. And for my fellow commuters out there, you know how annoying it is when that person decides just to stop in the middle of high foot traffic on 8 a.m. on a weekday morning. You don't do that. But she saw, and she listened, and she lost complete regard for everything else in that moment when she realized who it was. At the end of this little video, he stops playing, takes his violin off his shoulder, and she just says calmly, I've seen you play before. That was fantastic. And Joshua Bell just says, thanks. Video done. This is what happens when someone truly sees what is happening at the empty tomb. Nothing else matters. I saw it. I'm going to change course. Nothing else will ever be the same. Do not fear. Come and see. Go and tell. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, for a majority of people in here, a familiar, familiar story. But I pray that your spirit would work it anew in us. Not just its power, but its personal impact. I pray especially for those who maybe once professed the truth but have fallen away for any number of reasons. I pray for those who have never believed in you, Lord. That that prayer that Megan prayed is not just for the children. It is for all who would come and see you as their Savior and Lord. Lord, it's not about the life we lead. It's not about the things we do or the things we say. It's about acknowledging who you are and what you've done on our behalf. Father, let that fall afresh on us this morning and let it be for your glory. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand as we respond in song in preparation to take the Lord's Supper? <clears throat>